especially from the book of Ephesians, we have been noticing today that in the book of Ephesians, very much so was the mystery on the mind of Paul. And, and if you were not here this morning, you say, what do you mean the mystery was on the mind of Paul? Paul spoke seven, six or seven times, depending on translation of us, but six or seven times he spoke about mystery in just six chapters. And five times he was speaking about something very specific. He spoke to us about how Jesus Christ came to this earth and that was a mystery revealed to us. We saw God in the flesh as a human race. But then also we know in scriptures the mystery of God is revealed. And we know that God intends for the church to make known the mystery. Now those three things right there are amazing. But you know, to better understand something, we often know that an illustration makes it so much easier. Any of you that are teachers, you know what it is to to teach something and then say, let me illustrate it this way. And after you illustrate it, you can kind of see the students, oh, I get it now. So he's talked about this mystery And now this brings us to the fifth chapter where he, in a sense, says, let me illustrate it. And he takes something that is much older than the church. You see, thousands of years older than the church was the institution of marriage. And he says, we could use this as a time to study some things about marriage, but in this, well, I want to remind you again, if you have your Bible open, look there in the fifth chapter, Once he speaks from verse 22 on about marriage, look at verse 32 again and think about this. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. You see, it's real easy to read Ephesians 5, 22 and following and say, this is where God speaks to us about husbands and wives. Obviously, that would be true. But isn't it interesting that as we might approach it in that way, Paul gets down toward the end and says, you have picked up on this, haven't you? It's almost like Paul backs up and says, now you did get that, right? We're talking about a great mystery here. We haven't just been talking about husbands and wives. We've been talking about Christ and the church. That mystery is made known. Tonight, I don't know if we'll say much that you don't already know. But I hope that as we study this text together, it'll make all of us appreciate more Christ and the church. Now, who's the church? If you're a part of the called out, called out of the world, you're a part of the church. And so how do you view your relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, I urge you to realize that as wonderful it is is for us to be together and to worship together and sometimes work together and, and sometimes study together, keep in mind, you and I are just as much the church when we get to our homes this evening as you are sitting here. If you are one of the called, you are a part of the church. When you go to your family get-togethers this, this week... What will your family get-together be like with the church there also? In other words, you're going to be there. You're part of the church. What's it going to be like with the church there? In other words, someone that's the called out, someone that has this relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, Lord, what is it you want us to know about this relationship? He says, I want to reveal this to you. I want you to think about it in this way. And so let's drop back now and let's begin in verse 22 and see 20... uh, Well... 
22 begins the topic of husbands and wives, but we want to especially notice 23 and 24 because this gets us into him talking about Christ and, and the church. Look at 23 as we look at headship here. In other words, what's the Lord going to reveal to us about him and the church? First is headship, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now notice verse 24 begins with therefore. Now you know we talk many times about therefore. In other words, what he has just said needs to be understood so that we can see what this passage is there for. And so when we understand the headship of Christ, where does that leave us as a body of people or as the church? Look in 24. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. In 23, the topic was headship. We know that he teaches here that Christ is the head of the church. And in a similar manner, husbands are to be head of the wives. Now, he brings in a, a, a phrase here that if I were outlining this, I would be tempted to put this in parentheses. Because here he's reminding us, maybe someone would say, why, why should Christ be head of the church? He is the Savior of it. Friends, He has a right to make the call of who is going to be the head and who is not going to be the head. Because there would be no one... Remember back two weeks ago when we studied all one Sunday morning about the called? Matter of fact, we studied Sunday morning and Sunday night about the called... Who are the called? Those that have been redeemed. Ephesians, the first chapter. Those who have had their sins forgiven. How did this take place? Because of Jesus Christ. And now we're reading about this here. He is the Savior because He is the one that can reach out and save and bring people from the world into the church. Because He's the Savior, He has the right to be the head of the church. Now when we think about headship, Keep in mind, authority and positions, respecting those positions creates peace and unity. We have studied this topic before, and so I'll just mention this almost in passing. Anytime we see a family, a church, a government, or a school, even a workplace, where everybody respects the authority that is in position. And the authority respects those that they lead. We almost always say, I like being around that family. Oh, I love my work environment. You know, people at that school, that's a great school. The students learn so much. It's a great faculty and staff to work with. Oh, I love that congregation. They, they are just such a wonderful, peaceful congregation to be around. You take out of that mix a respect for authority and you lose peace. You lose unity and you lose love. It's no surprise that as he's going to begin this long paragraph here to say, I want to talk to you about a great mystery. It's the mystery of Christ and the church. The first place he's going to start is by saying, I want to remind you, I need to be the head of it. And I need you to respect that. Now, the very next verse, it makes sense that if he talks about headship, then he needs to talk about submission. And so in the very next verse, he says, the church needs to submit to the head who is Jesus Christ. 
But now it's not just about headship that he wants us to learn. Let's look at verse 25. In 25, he also wants us to learn about the love that exists in the church family. This love began, remember we love the Lord because he first loved us. Here's an example of this. Look in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Let's pause there for just a moment just to make this point. When, when we think about the love here, the love is, uh, the word is agape. It is a commitment. It is a decision. It is to do what's right and best for someone. Even it's unconditional. It's sacrificial. In other words, when it costs you something, you still offer this love to someone. Uh, when no matter what they do, you offer this love. It's unconditional. This is the way the, the Lord loved us. In other words, the Lord didn't say, hey, you get everything right in your life, and then I'll come and die for you. While we were yet sinners, while we were separated from the Lord, the Lord went ahead and did what was right for us. He died for us. That's how the calling is always made available to us. That's why the Lord can say, for whosoever will, as He says, come unto me, whosoever will. And so, now, with this love, He speaks of the church with the pronoun of her. And there's three things that this love led the Lord to do that is recorded in this text. And so let's notice what that is. We're reading now in 25, and and I know we just read 25, but I want you to notice the last of 25 because that's the first one. Because of His love, notice the end of 25 again. He gave Himself for her. It's for the church. That's for you and I. Verse 26, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. The first thing that is the mystery that is revealed to us in this passage, if you didn't already know it, is he says, I want you to see Christ in the church and remember, Jesus died for her. There wouldn't be a church if there were not for a Lord that was willing to die. And of course, the power of the resurrection. How much do you love someone? Are you willing to lay down your life for someone? John the 10th chapter is a powerful teaching that Jesus taught about different types of shepherds. And there was one shepherd that was a hireling. In other words, when things got dangerous, he ran from the sheep and left them endangered. But then he said, I am that good shepherd. I will lay down my life for the sheep. And so the Lord wants us to understand how much He loves us. Have you meditated on the thought lately? The Lord loves you more than anybody you've ever known. You know, I've been blessed, and I'm sure many of you have. I've been blessed with some people that love me a lot more than what I deserve. But you know what? Nobody on this earth has loved me the way God has. And nobody on this earth has loved you the way God has. God the Son, out of all the things that could be revealed in Ephesians 5, He writes for several verses here to say, I not only love you, I want to tell you why I love you. I love you so much, I'll lay down my life for you. But then also notice in 26 that He said, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the Word. Sanctify and cleanse. You remember that calling out? 
the word sanctify is, is also the same word in the original uh, Greek for holy. That word sanctify is to set apart. We were out here dying in, in, a, in a world and we've been called out. We've been redeemed. In other words, now we are set aside. It's not like we're just an object sitting out there alone. In other words, we've been set aside, but now we have ownership. Now we are the Lord's special people. The phrase in the, in the old King James, and, and, and you know, I grew up reading the King James. I love the King James, but for our modern day, the phrase that really misses it in, in our King James is it uses the word peculiar people. And the, the, the translation there way back when the King James translated didn't mean odd or strange people. It is properly translated today in most newer translations to say his own special people. In other words, we've been sanctified. We've been set apart. And and we say, well, who do we belong to? We are His special people. We are owned by the Lord. Cleansed. Here we were dying in sin. Here we don't really know the right way to live. Here we don't find our purpose for life. But when we've been set aside by the Lord and we're looking to Him as the Lord of our life, now we're redeemed. Now the sins are remissed. Now we are cleansed. Spiritually dirty and dead to spiritually revived, cleansed and alive. And he tells us a third thing here that really is powerful as we go into 27, that he wants to present her. See in 27, he wants to present her to himself, a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle. Now notice that as it seems to refer to age or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. The Lord is looking forward to the day. We read about this in the middle of 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, when He can take all enemies and put them to death. And you remember the last enemy that the Lord's going to destroy? It's death itself. And that same teaching, He says that He wants to present us to our Father. Now we read about this, and he pulls back a little bit more of the curtain, if you will. And he says, I want to tell you what I want to do. I want to present the church. Now, who's the church? He says, you're not going to have spot or blemish. You realize the church is nearing 2,000 years old. You realize that the church can never, it can never be said, well, really, the church was designed for the 1800s. Well, really, the church was designed for the second century. Well, really, the church was designed for the 1500s. Do you realize the beauty of that? The Lord's church will never have spot or wrinkle. The Lord's church never ages. And I'm not talking about individuals. I'm talking about the universal church. The Lord's church never marries one generation. And if a congregation does marry one generation, she'll be a widow to the next generation. The Lord's church is without spot or wrinkle. There's no spot or age blemishes on the Lord's church. The Lord's church is just as relevant today as she was 15 years ago or 50 years ago or 500 years ago. The church, the Lord's church is for today. That's the church that the Lord is going to present to the Father. She is holy and without blemish. In other words, now he's back to that same thought. She is sanctified. And the marks that would be against her, the blemishes, they've been washed away. Because of their own righteousness? No, because of the mercy and the grace of God. Isn't this beautiful? God, what is it that you want us to see about the church? He says, I want you to see the headship of the church. 
But I also want you to see the love. I love you so much that I would die for you because I want to see you presented on the day of judgment to the Father. But then also, the third thing that he would say is, I want you to see the unity. He wants to see the church and him as one unit, just as we think of husbands and wives having that kind of unity. Let's begin reading in 28, and notice this as we read 28 and 29. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Now notice his closing. Just as the Lord does the church. He says, I want you to understand something here. When we think about loving yourself, which, by the way, is the second greatest commandment. You remember the first greatest commandment is love God with all your being. The second greatest commandment is love thy neighbor as thyself. And so the Lord wants us to love ourselves. He commands us to love ourselves. And so when we think about loving our body, what would we do when we truly love ourselves? Well, he kind of interrupts here and says, by the way, that's the way I want husbands to love their wives. A man naturally nourishes and cherishes his own being. He says, now I want you to learn to discipline yourself to nourish and cherish your wife. What does nourish mean? It's provide what is needed to provide nourishment. What does cherishing mean? To cherish, and especially coming out of the original language here, it comes from a root word that means incubate. Now, I'm sure some of you have seen some kind of uh, fowl set on an egg, a hen, a pigeon, whatever, set on an egg. If it's a, if it's a, if it's a chicken, it's 21 days. Sets on the egg, doesn't leave the nest. Why would that word cherish come from the word incubate? Well, any of you that have seen it, you know why. You know, that chicken's all over the barnyard, all over the pasture during the day, unless she's sitting on her eggs. She won't go far from them for those 21 days. She protects them. She puts her wings over them. If a dog comes around, she won't run from the dog. She'll risk her life to protect those. And what happens? After she warms them and after she protects them 21 days later, Life springs forth from them. In other words, the idea of cherish something literally comes from the idea of a chicken or or some kind of animal willing to give their life to incubate their young. In other words, it's that kind of cherishing. And so the reminder for us as husbands is, do we cherish our wife? But now think about the lesson for tonight, though, is Christ in the church. He says, we naturally nourish our own bodies. We naturally protect our own body. Any of you men here that are, that are strong and, and, and you're so courageous, we could take you and stand you in the aisle right there and we could rear back and throw a fastball baseball right at your face and I guarantee you'd try to protect your face. Nobody would have to say, hey, put your hand up. Hey, you better duck. Why? You protect your body. You cherish your body. Nobody has to tell you, hey, do you realize you haven't eaten in three days? Maybe you want to nourish yourself. Nobody has to tell you that. You naturally nourish yourself. You naturally protect yourself. And now the Lord says, husbands, take care of your wives. Nurture them. Cherish them. But then he says, just as Christ does the church. He's pulling back the veil a little more. 
Do you see what the Lord has done for you? The Lord has provided the church everything that the church needs. Please believe that. When the world, secularism, human philosophy, when it tries to convince us that if we follow this, we're going to miss out on something, be reminded, the Lord provides His church everything that we need. And the Lord cherishes us. We're back now to the love, to that love that is protective. That love that wants to protect us from a lot of harm that we could otherwise have as a result of sowing and reaping, but especially the harm that would come about from eternal condemnation. He wants to protect us from that. But then the last point that I'd like for you to see tonight is the point of creation. It's very interesting to me how similar the wording is in 30 and 31. And and I want to just tell you that, that I believe that there is a lot more to this passage that I'm simply not mature enough to understand. But if the Lord gives me time and and He gives me uh, enough opportunity to study this more, I look forward in, in five years from now preaching this very same text, this very same topic, and I believe there's a lot more here. There's just so many parallels. For example, uh, you see there in verse 30, for we, think about creation here, back to Genesis 2, for we are the members of His body and of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. When I go back to Genesis, the second chapter, listen to how similar this is. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man, and Adam said... This is now bone of my bones. This is flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There is no doubt that here the Lord takes a passage here in Ephesians, and He says, this is going to sound just like I'm talking about husbands and wives. But instead, I'm really making some application here to Christ and the church. The church is literally the body of Christ. Eve was made from the body of Adam. God gave an original pattern of marriage in Genesis 2 and 24 of leaving mother and father and being joined together. And this relationship of marriage was designed even as a part of creation. And the Lord invites us to leave the world and to become one with Jesus Christ. We've talked several times in the last year or so about how we have two creations. God created us physically in Ephesians, uh, in, Christ, in Ephesians, the second chapter. He wants to also create us spiritually. I believe He's talking about this spiritual creation here, where He says, "Now it's a great mystery, it's Christ in the church tonight." 
when you think about the mystery, and you think about that closing of all the ways he could have closed this passage, look at 33, and we close with this. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. The head of the church said he loved us so much they wanted to present us before the Father, saved. He loved us so much that he would die in order for us to do that. He loved us so much that he would reach out and call us and sanctify us so that we could be holy and we could be his special people. So what he says to husbands is he says, Husbands, I want you to love in that way. Now keep in mind, this is just the closing. This is the way this chapter closes. But then he says, wives, and now he's talking to the church. We see what the Lord has done, and now who are we? We are the bride of Christ. As the bride of Christ, Lord, what do you want us to do? Now you think, is this too simple? I want you to respect me. Christ, come again. What is it you want? I want you to respect me. The way you live on a daily basis, do you respect Christ? The way you talk, the way you do business, the way you live with your family, can can you and your interaction with others reflect the fact that you're the body of Christ and that you respect the head and the love And the oneness, the unity, all reflects that He's the head of your life. Just the way He meant for it to be from the very beginning of the church, but as we've been studying, even before the beginning of time, in the mind of Christ. Tonight, we've studied several things. Hope you can take it all with you, but at least take the close. Do you respect Him? We're about to sing a song of invitation. And if your life is not right with Him, do you respect Him enough to make your life right with Him? If you've never been immersed into Christ for the mission of your sins, but you're a believer, willing to repent of sins and confess Jesus, won't you be immersed? Won't you be baptized into Christ this evening? Respect Him enough to come to Him and and count Him as Lord of your life. Maybe you've begun that journey and somewhere along the way you've disrespected Him. You're ashamed of that. You want to repent of that. You want to confess sin and pray forgiveness. Tonight, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.